0: I'm Jessica Harris, and this is From Scratch. My guest is Robert Stevens, the founder and chief inspector of Geek Squad, a company that provides computer and entertainment center tech support for consumers and small businesses. Robert started the company in 1994 while he was still a college student at the University of Minnesota, and Geek Squad was bought by the consumer electronics giant Best Buy in 2002. Welcome. Thank you. You grew up in the Chicago area, and you were the youngest of seven children?
1: I was the youngest of seven, but by the time I was born, almost all my brothers and sisters were nearing, you know, getting out of high school. So I was almost an only child, so I kind of had both. Big mm. family, but uh, I had most of the house to myself.
0: What did your parents do?
1: Uh, my father was in the Navy 20 years, and then he worked at Allstate 20 years as a systems analyst. So uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. You know, my father was... Uh, you know, probably could have gone farther in his career, but, you know, the family was a priority. So he was a 9 to 5 or he was home at 5. And, um, I mean, I don't ever remember a day going home after school and not having, you know, my parents there. Mm. So um, very Huckleberry Finn existence that uh, I'm doing my best to duplicate for my children.
0: Now, what was your ambition growing up? Did you think, okay, I want to be a successful entrepreneur or I want to be? What was going through your mind as to what you wanted to do?
1: Uh, when I look back, I was always a troubleshooter and taking things apart. I mean, I come from a long line of troubleshooters. Uh, you know, my brothers were very blue collar bricklayers and mechanics. So we were very hands on people. And uh, my brother, um, who's, you know, 11 years older than I am, was a mechanic as a teenager. So every night he used to bring carburetors home, you know, for Volkswagen Beetles at the shop where he worked, because I love to take things apart. So he'd pay me a buck. Uh, to rebuild carburetors. So while everybody was sitting around the TV after dinner watching TV, I'd be sitting there at the coffee table with a screwdriver taking carburetors apart. That just became a a lifelong love of disassembling things. Uh, I've spent the rest of my life learning how to reassemble them.
0: Uh What what were some of the jobs you held prior to starting Geek Squad?
1: Well, I've actually only held like four jobs my entire life, including my current job at, at Geek Squad. The first paid job I ever got was a rock climbing instructor in Canada.
0: What were some other jobs?
1: The second job I ever held was uh, for the Verlo Mattress Factory in Wheeling, Illinois, the town where I grew up. You'd walk in, there'd be a small showroom, you're going to go buy a, a bed. And so when somebody walks in the store... You put the stapler gun down and walk out there and dust off the cotton, and you sell a product. And I was pretty good at sales, and I had, like, blue combat boots and spiked hair, and I was the top salesperson. So if you can look like that and sell pretty well, um, and uh, you just kind of realize, you know, what you're good at.
0: Now, how did the idea for making house calls fixing people's computers originate? While you were at the University of Minnesota.
1: Well, at that time, remember, remember, the early 1990s, this is when kind of the technology shift began to happen. I mean, Michael Dell, I think, was just coming out of college. Bill Gates was about to become the world's richest person. At that time, you know, dial-up Internet access first emerged. And that's when computers had become useful, when they could talk to each other. And, uh, you know, the first web browser was being developed. Mark Andreessen, who had found Netscape, was still a student at the University of Illinois. And so all these great things were going on and my roommate worked in this research lab and he took me there one day and I saw the internet for the first time. So I started working there but to pay for school I had to start making make extra money. So I started making house calls on my mountain bike and a cell phone, you know, just fixing PC problems.
0: How did you how did you let people know that you were in business to make those house calls?
1: Well, just word of mouth. I mean, that's why that's why service is so bad in any part of the world because it's easy to get into the service business. I mean, if you can do something technically and you have a cell phone, and you have a few friends and you start doing work for them, word will spread. If you're good, you get a lot of phone calls. That's also part of the problem. We've all called a drywall contractor or plumber. They don't return phone calls. They don't show up when they're supposed to. They either smell bad and talk down to you or all of the above. And so when I started showing up, I kept hearing these things. Oh, that other person fixed my computer problem, but they they wouldn't show me how they fixed it, or they didn't ever call me back, or they were rude. And I thought, well, there's really what you're paying me to do, remove that virus or get that file back. But then there's also the other things like showing up and taking my shoes off without being asked. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any money for advertising, those little details add up and that they all become your advertising. And then I realized going, here I am in a really unglamorous, low-end business like computer repair that's not full of any creative people at all. And I'm, I consider myself a pretty creative person What if a creative person went into a boring business? So my goal wasn't to stay in computer repair. It was to grow it as kind of like a fast food business to eventually get into the gourmet food business, high-end computer consulting. But I found those. All the creative and beautiful and smart people went into high-end consulting, and nobody wanted to deal with this massive volume of people who need help.
0: I'm Jessica Harris, and you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Robert Stevens, founder of Geek Squad, a company that provides computer and electronics tech support to consumers and small businesses. Robert started Geek Squad in 1994 when he was 24 years old, and the company was sold to Best Buy in 2002. Geek Squad now has over a billion dollars in sales and 20,000 employees. Geek Squad has a law enforcement police aesthetic, and that's kind of cheeky and nostalgic. Now, the image of the company has become just as important or as visible as the actual service that you're providing. Did you start thinking about the image of the company simultaneously, from the very beginning, or did it take some time for you to start thinking about these image
1: issues? Uh, no, I. Did it right from the very beginning. Um, I tell people the best thing ever to happen to me when I started my company is I had no money. Because if you have money, you're going to hire a PR firm.
0: Mm-hmm. People
1: would always ask me, "Who's your PR firm?" I don't have one. Uh, who did all your uh, branding? I did. Um, who does your accounting? I do. I mean, when you have to do everything yourself, you tend to appreciate it more. You get more creative. And you know, when you're not spending a lot of money, you're not borrowing money. Then you're taking more chances because what have you got to lose?
0: How did you come up with this uh, law enforcement vibe?
1: Well, uh, from the customers, because I would show up, and it was just like—I was watching Dragnet one night. You know, Dragnet, the TV show from the 60s, you know, with Joe Friday, and they show up, you know, the police car pulls up— and there's a frantic uh, person at home, who, you know, and a crime's been committed and they have to investigate. That's so exactly like a house call. <laughs> I show up and you're all freaked out and you're like, it's over there, it won't <laughs> behave, you know, like step away from the computer, ma'am. And I, I saw a lot of parallels and I thought, instead of trying to teach people, Um, about this service that they've never experienced before, so they have no context. I'm going to use analogies they already have in their head. Mm. You know what? And so I didn't have any money for marketing, and it's important to be memorable. Now, if we didn't show up five minutes early for every appointment and we didn't do great service, this would all be a shtick and a gimmick.
0: In fact, you're dressed like a Geek Squad agent right now. You have a clip-on black tie with a little Geek Squad pin, and you have very white socks and black shoes uh, why do you stipulate that all of your employees wear white socks?
1: Uh, there are two reasons most people don't know. That I'll, we'll reveal them now for the first time because nobody's ever bothered to ask. The two reasons we have them wear them. One is they have to be white. We give them a white card and we say if your socks fail to match this color it's time to change your <laughs> socks. So actually the white is color-coding. The other reason is it's a visual indicator. If you can't see the white socks in the customer's home you have forgotten to take your shoes off. So it's actually a reminder a stark reminder. So in a way, we're a mix of dragnet, but we're also a hybrid of Ghostbusters. You know, we've got, we're a bit memorable. But we do charge for what we do, mm. unlike the police. Um, we're like NASA. The uniform came from NASA huh. because I was looking for a uniform. My first uniform was SWAT because that was one of my favorite shows in the 70s, the black vans, and I'd fix this ice cream company's computers, and so they couldn't pay their bill. And I said, I'll take two of your ice cream trucks, and I, I painted them black. Because I was one of my own SWAT truck, yeah. so then I put people in black jumpsuits with black combat boots and black uh, like fanny packs that could whip out a floppy disk in a moment's notice. But the problem is it scared the crap out of customers <laughs> when we showed up. So it's important to be creative, but you also have to know kind of when to tone it down. So then Apollo thirteen came out in ninety six, and I'm sitting there in the theater watching this, and it brought back all these memories of the scenes of mission control during the Apollo launch when we watched science films in class. And I always thought that NASA was the coolest thing i had ever seen. And NASA is the ultimate symbol for teamwork, problem solving, doing the impossible, you know, together as a group. And I thought, oh my God, they're wearing a uniform and they don't even know it. They wear short sleeves. But there's a functional reason they do it, and same reason for us. Only ours is for ventilation, because mm-hmm. the underarm areas tend to be a bit of a problem for hygiene. And the last thing I was going to do is bring another damn polo shirt into the world. So if you look at the dress, it's very basic, black and white. In 100 years, this uniform will become part of American culture, I believe. Um, now, there's only one other group of people that dress like us. Who? And, well, the Mormons. Now, one or two things are going to happen Uh, because people always think I'm going to hand them a Bible when they see us on the street. One or two things will happen. Either in the next couple of years, the Mormons are either going to have to change their uniform or we're going to have to teach them how to fix computers.
0: Did you ever face any backlash? I mean, you came up with this idea before America invaded Iraq. And, you know, your employees are called cadets and covert operators and CIA seniors. Um, I'm wondering if this image at all, if this mentality took on a different meaning after the war started.
1: Uh, No, because we don't really play, you know, when you hear about our titles, like our, you know, the reason we call them counterintelligence agents, because they actually work at the counters inside of Best Buy stores. So (laughs) there is a bit of functional relevance there. But you know, we don't really use the titles in advertising. Behind the scenes, a lot of this marketing is not really for the public. It's really for the agent.
0: To be fair, uh, there was a blogger on consumeractivist.com, and I I, I thought what he said was kind of funny. Um, You won't think it's funny, but he said, the whole super spy show they put on is pathetic. Just do the damn job and play secret agent in your spare time. What's your response to that?
1: Well, we're used to being picked on. So let's break that sentence down. They should just do their jobs. That's like saying all cars should be the same. It will be more fuel efficient. All coats should be the same. We can produce them cheaper, and we won't waste any expensive fabric. No company should have any style or personality. That's completely ridiculous. Now, he does make a good point. If we don't show up on time, and if we don't do the best service, then this all becomes a very pathetic joke.
0: I want to talk to about uh, some of the creative, resourceful things you did in the early days pertaining to marketing, because you seemed to get your look right. But how did you go about spreading the word, for instance, when you were driving on the highway?
1: In the beginning, I didn't want to get too many phone calls because it was just me. And then it was just one other employee. And so I was really worried about having too many people call and not returning phone calls because I heard that complaint over and over. So when I got my first Geekmobile, and I just put the Geek Squad logo on the side of the car. I didn't put a phone number on there. So driving around town in this 1958 Simca Aronde, which is an old French car. looks like a Studebaker, and there's a picture of it on the internet. Um, people will come up to me and say, hey, I see your cars everywhere. And I only had one. So we started playing around with the idea of vehicles as advertising. And that's not gimmicky because we need those functionally for work. So I started having fun with the idea because it was a way I could have a a kind of a valve to release business. If I needed to get busier, I would just start driving around more. And I would also tell them, don't drive like seven or eight miles an over the speed limit like everybody else. Because if you in a ten mile stretch, if you drive sixty two into fifty five like everybody else does, you only get the only only ten of the same cars are going to see you. But if you slow down to fifty seven miles an hour, ten times the number of cars will see you and you're driving the speed limit. Let people cut you off <laughs> and thank them for it.
0: In addition to driving more slowly and driving politely in traffic, uh, you also had your car appear outside of an orchestra hall at some point uh, when where the, the car was shown on the local CBS station. What was that story?
1: Who is my target audience? The target audience of the Geek Squad is anyone that owns or uses a computer. Well, that's pretty much everybody. So if everyone is a potential customer, who would I choose out of all of them to be my first choice in customers, rich people. Where do rich people go? Uh, the opera. So I went to Orchestra Hall in downtown Minneapolis, called him up and saying, what time's the opera get out? He's like, 9.05, sir. So at 9.06, I'd be doing laps around Orchestra Hall. And, you know, what happens is the rich people walk out in their fur coats waiting for their line of limousines to pick them up. And they're like ducks falling off a log, okay? They roll into the limos. And by the time I do another lap around the building, another layer of rich people are going to get into their limos. And they, all they do is they just see my car pass by. I call that time-release marketing mm-hmm. because, you know, you may not have a computer problem now. But all I'm trying to do is get you to talk or remember me uh, at some point. So sure enough, the phone starts ringing from the richer neighborhoods in town. And that didn't cost a dime. So anyway, uh, the next week I'm sitting there in front of orchestra hall and it's like five minutes to nine waiting for the opera to get out. And all of a sudden my phone rings, you know, dude, you're on TV. Look to your left. And I look over and there's a local CBS affiliate. You know, a lot of these towns now, you know, they've got the news anchor in the glass thing visible from the street. And sure enough, uh, he's like, back up your car about two feet. (laughs) perfect, your logo's right behind his head. And so now the dance begins because now every night I'm parked across the street during the 9 and 10 o'clock newscasts, and even when they try and change the angles, I back my car up and move it back and forth, and they can't do anything about it. It's like those people (laughs) on the Today Show that hold up the big placards, you know. It accomplished a business goal. We did it in a fun manner, and it didn't cost anything.
0: Let me see the bottom of your shoes.
1: So... Interesting. Um,
0: You have a Geek Squad imprint on the bottom of your shoe and your heel. Uh, Where did you come up with that idea?
1: Well, somebody walked into my office one day, about three years ago, and they said, okay, we're now approaching like 8,000 Geek Squad agents. We have so many shoes. We give everybody two pairs of shoes a year you to rotate out or more. So that's 16,000 pairs of shoes. So uh, they're like, we can get our own shoes made now. Do you, do you want the logo on the box? Do you want the box to be orange? And I, I thought back immediately to something I had seen uh, 10 years ago. I was getting my picture taken for a magazine on the Santa Monica Pier. And I'm watching a tractor rake the sand on the beach there. And behind the rake was a big metal drum pressing a copper tone ad into the sand. And I always remember that going, wow, that's a really creative place to stick advertising. And in that moment I was being told that you can produce your own shoes. I said, Screw the box. Can you can they put our logo on the heel and, in reverse? So I type in Google. I type in how many steps a day does a human take? Do you know that humans take seven thousand steps a day? Hmm. Now I don't have a calculator in my head right now, but take 17,000 agents of the Geek Squad times 7,000 steps a day times, let's say, 0.001% of the time. Um, they're walking in snow, sand, or the muddy water before you go into the grocery store, and we happen to leave a few logos. And the point is I can't tell you to this day um, how much revenue we've derived from that. And frankly, I don't care. I probably got more mileage out of the story than anything else. But it also sets in motion for the agents. We want you to think differently. There's always an opportunity right underneath your own feet to think about what impression you make, no pun intended. In fact, I just (laughs) should use that line.
0: So in addition to making an impression with your shoes and with your car, you also had some time on Minnesota Public Radio in the early days when you were giving computer lessons on the air. How did that happen?
1: Uh, I think we did a house call for somebody that worked at Public Radio, and they said, God, this is a really nice person. They have a lot of great advice. And um, they had us on the show, and the phone line just lit up. I mean, the switchboard, every time we go on the radio, uh, is packed because people call in for, like, tech support questions. We would always try and answer them, though, in a non-technical manner. Again, keeping back to the simple and not kind of making technology intimidating.
0: I'm Jessica Harris, and you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Robert Stevens, founder of Geek Squad, a company that provides computer and electronics tech support to consumers and small businesses. Robert started Geek Squad in 1994 when he was 24 years old, and the company was sold to Best Buy in 2002. I want to talk about the experience of making house calls. Uh, the voyeur in me wants to know what some of the homes looked like inside when you, were, when you were making house calls. What were some things that surprised you about how people lived?
1: Well, we don't kiss and tell, so I, <laughs> I couldn't ever discuss with you any specifics of any house calls. Uh, we're, we're known for our discretion. Uh, the first thing that strikes you if you were to become a Geek Sweat agent and make house calls for six months to a year is the surprising number of people who answered the door with no clothes on. Uh, you know, there's voyeurism and then there's exhibitionism. You know, some people that are heavy smokers, their computers reek like nicotine and, you know, they're not doing their computers any favor. Some people are messy. Some people are very neat and tidy. Like, for example, if I show up at your home and you're very meticulous and your bushes are trimmed exactly, I know that you probably want a lot of detail. And you know very particularly what I'm going to do, when I'm going to be done, and how much it'll cost. Other people are like, you know, I'm going to be in the backyard garden and call me when it's fixed. So you just kind of learn how to read that.
0: Now, incidentally, I had a computer problem a couple of years ago where my fan broke. And so my computer would overheat. And I had a, um, a frozen olive bread in my freezer. And for six weeks, I would use that frozen olive bread as the coolant for my computer. I just put my computer on top of this big olive frozen roll. And it, it worked. What are some resourceful things you'll see customers doing uh, to deal with the problems they have before you guys arrive, if uh, any? Well,
1: before we've arrived, sometimes they call us and ask us, "What can I do until you come?" Like for example, sometimes somebody's like, "Oh, I spilled a Coke on my keyboard. Uh, what do I do?" You know, and I I need that keyboard working, and they don't have time to run out and get one. So put it in the dishwasher.
0: Sure. You tell them to put it in the dishwasher.
1: Yeah, you can actually put a keyboard in the dishwasher. You know, face down. Uh, it'll the hot water will dissolve. Um, the, uh, the sugars in the, in the soda pop, which make it sticky. and you Don't put it on hot dry, though, otherwise it'll melt the keyboard. But then, you know, if you let it dry properly, it'll work again. Uh, another thing we do sometimes is if you've spilled some, uh, like, syrup on a circuit board, By pouring, um, evaporating, like rubbing alcohol on there, that will actually dissolve the stuff without ruining the circuit board. Um, Putting a hard drive in a freezer. Sometimes hard drives actually stick if they sat for a while or if a hard drive is having problems and it won't boot up and you can hear the clicking sound. If you put the hard drive in a freezer, that expansion and contraction of the temperature change just might move it just a few microns enough to get it working again. Um, The other thing we tell people to do is like a five-minute miracle. The five-minute miracle is anytime you have a problem, the first thing you should do, even before you call us, is uh, turn everything off, unplug everything, go get a cup of coffee, come back in five minutes, plug everything back in, and reboot, and try again. And you'd be surprised. A lot of times, we haven't waited for the computer to finish doing what it's doing, and that can cause more problems.
0: I want to switch to pricing now. Um, there's an article in the New York Times recently by the, the business writer David Leonhardt, and he writes uh, about the expert service problem. And that is when the person diagnosing the problem is also the person being paid to fix the problem. So for instance, if your car is not working, you'll bring it to the car repair shop, and he's going to diagnose the problem and also charge you to, to fix it. And when you have those two things going on in one person, it could lead to their overcharging the customer. How do you deal with that in your pricing?
1: We offer flat rates. So none of our people are commissioned. So they don't make any more money, by the way, at the end of the day, if they build you know, $2,000 versus $1,000. I came up with this years ago uh, when I was still in college and I started making house calls. I started out $25 an hour. And the funny thing happens when somebody calls. They really want to know three things. Can you fix it? When can you fix it? How much will it cost? So I can't tell you how many times in the beginning that I'd finish fixing your computer, and I'd give you a bill for $125. That might take took me five hours to fix it. And they go, $125? I never knew it was going to cost this much. I said, man, I told you it was $25. I thought it was just going to be $25. Mm. Okay, or I didn't think it would be above $75. So I thought, how do I get And I remember I had to keep timesheets and all this other stuff. There are hidden administrative costs to complexity in business. People want flat rates, and it's very natural. I want to know what it's going to cost before I enter into this, so it's kind of a contract. Mm -hmm. Once I did that, it eliminated the need for time sheets, and also um, it eliminated customer disappointment. Customers were never surprised again when we showed up.
0: Uh, as you were growing the business from just yourself to one employee to 30 employees to now 20,000 employees, was there a piece of press or some type of catalyst that caused your company to experience a jolt in business in the early days?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually, ultimately, your best press that you ever get is local newspaper or local coverage. It's the longest-lasting Um, It generates the most direct business because with national media, you get a lot of phone calls, but you don't get a lot of business. With local media, you get a lot of business. Like the Pioneer Press, in 1995, we got our first newspaper article about Geek Squad, and to this day, people in the Twin Cities still talk about that one article.
0: I'm Jessica Harris, and you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Robert Stevens, founder of Geek Squad, a company that provides computer and electronics tech support to consumers and small businesses. Turning to your relationship with Best Buy, they bought you in 2002, but you first started working with them in some capacity in 1995. How did that happen?
1: Well, within the first year of starting Geek Squad, you know, um, I had three or four employees. I knew this business was going to work, and I knew that we were going to be better than anybody else because most people in the service business aren't obsessive as I am, and Mm -hmm. that's just a fact. Um, So I dare you to compete against me. Uh, So I thought, God, we should just go to Best Buy. I mean, most of our customers are coming from Best Buy. They're frustrated. A lot of the people I'm hiring used to work at a Best Buy, so I know they've got good people. You know, they probably just haven't figured out that service is a profit center, not a cost center. I got called one day by somebody who said, Hey, um, I've got a client, uh, Best Buy, they're filming a computer commercial. uh, And they need the Intel Inside logo to pop up on the screen during the commercial. How much do you charge for the day? We'll pay you a thousand bucks to sit there and make. All I had to do was bring a JPEG on a floppy disk to a photo shoot and make it come up. And they paid me a thousand bucks. So I got to know some of the people at Best Buy at corporate. And I thought, these are pretty nice people. And so I always wanted to join forces with them, but I didn't at the time in 1995 because I didn't think Geekswad's model had been perfected yet. I wanted to come up with a new web-based dispatch system and a lot of system system improvements to further increase the quality. Finally, I try. I kept growing the company as far as I could. I knew this business could not be franchised. I knew I could not do an IPO on my own because service needed you need to be there when the product's sold, if you're really going to sell a lot of service. That's mm. a very key point. That's why there's never been a nationally branded technology support service. And there's not likely to be one our size for quite some time, if ever.
0: So what you're saying is if you provide that service or that promise of service, when the person buys their, uh, their iPod or their computer, then there's more of a chance for profit generation. Yeah.
1: So finally, I said the If I IPO Geek Squad, Wall Street will tear me apart because we're never going to grow as fast as they like. I need to partner with somebody who needs to differentiate themselves. I need to partner with somebody who's not going to sell it in two years. And that's why I believe Geek Squad acquired Best Buy. I called them. I knocked on their door and I said, listen, most of the people that work for me used to work for you. I know you're a good company. You're a good Midwestern ethical based company and you sell a lot of fun stuff. You sell the stuff. I'm going to make it work. And they said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Let's do it. So we dated for a couple of years before we got married. And I guarantee you in 10 years, Geek Squad will be larger than Best Buy because mm-hmm. you don't have to buy it at Best Buy for Geek Squad to help you with it.
0: How does Brad Anderson, the CEO of Best Buy, feel about your saying that you acquired Best Buy versus Best Buy from uh, you? You
1: will find him correcting himself on CNBC or wherever else he's being in, uh interviewed it's kind of like letterman poking fun at uh, viacom you know the parent (laughs) company brad is very very savvy to know that geek squad is one of the key strategic imperatives to differentiate best buy listen you can buy a digital camera on ebay and a lot of other places besides best buy the reason we think people are going to buy it at best buy is because you're not just getting a box anymore i'll bring it to your home or if you want to buy it for your grandmother across the country a geek squad agent will show up at the home set it up at her pace, and show her how to auction off some of her stuff on eBay and keep her happy.
0: Now, as you're growing the business, uh, you're now in China as well as Canada. How are you dealing with some of the cultural issues? So what are some of the cultural issues you might face by being in China, for example?
1: Well, there are... I guess you'd say there are two cultural issues. There's the cultural, the literal culture that you go into, and like, and Chinese consumers have different buying um, patterns than uh, Americans. But Geek Squad has been translated roughly into Magic Guest, which I love. Uh, In Mandarin, Magic Guest, which I love that name. In fact, I love it so much. I've already registered magicguest.com. That's really what we are. We're a magic guest. But then there's the culture of the company as it grows in size. I get asked this all the time. Well, how do you maintain quality? Quality is an issue. Forever in every service company. It's like chasing a sunset. You're never done. It's like also, it's like a marriage. Your marriage is never done. It's a constant work in progress. That's why service sucks in so many places because at some point you have an executive who's not married to it. I'm married to GeeksWide. It's my baby, even though I legally don't own it anymore. I now try and influence the big company to do the right thing
0: when before you came to sit with me today you had a couple hours on your hand and you actually followed some of your geek squad employees around explain that
1: well we have kind of like a FedEx package tracking system I had three hours to kill today while I was uh, in New York and um, I uh, looked in the system and said where are some nearby, I mean, there are agents everywhere, everywhere in North America. And so I found an agent a few blocks away that was due for a house call at 1.30 today. I waited outside the apartment building and he showed up five minutes early and um, I shook his hand and said, hello. And uh, I said, thank you for being part of the Geek Squad. Thank you for being on time. And I don't want to keep you long because I don't want to keep the customer waiting. Now, Did he know is- who you were? Yeah, he recognized me immediately. Um,
0: he was freaked out, I bet.
1: He was freaked out. And more importantly, this is important to me because I, I don't believe that a company has to sacrifice its quality and dilute its culture the larger it gets. He's going to tell every other agent in the Triborough area in the next month that I was there today. And then I said, thank you for being. How often does an employer just thank an employee for being part of the company? But more importantly, he's going to communicate that. So I think you can be highly personal while being very large in geographic scale.
0: You talked before about a service being a marriage. And speaking of marriage, you are married. Uh, when did you get married throughout this whole Greek, Geek Squad process?
1: Uh, well, I married my college sweetheart 10 years late because um, I tried to marry her in uh, actually 1994. And, uh, we, you know, we had a tempestuous relationship at the time. So I fell madly in love uh, in in college the first woman, the, the night the Gulf War started, was the first time I saw her. You know, she was a single mother at the time, putting herself through college and didn't want to uh, be, um, you know, railed, uh, go off the rails with me. I'm a rather passionate individual. And when I see something I want, I kind of go after it. So I had plan to propose marriage and we broke up. And so um, I always say that the growth of Geek Squad is a direct result of my broken heart. So I threw myself into my work. (laughs) and So when I thought I was gonna expand Geek Squad to LA and move there uh, forever um, and move away from Minneapolis, I just, her ex-husband used to get his computer fixed all the time, so I would ask about her. And so I called him and I said, I think I'm gonna move to Los Angeles and run Geek Squad from there. And I just wanna say goodbye to Jackie. And so, um, and I haven't talked to her in years. So I called her up and we had lunch and uh, we found out we both weren't married and uh, fell madly in love again. And I finally married her in 2003. It's a testament to persistence. So, you know, Geek Squad really was my therapy for my great muse in my life.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Robert Stevens, founder and chief inspector of Geek Squad. I'm Jessica Harris, and this is From Scratch.